Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Christian, joined again today by my friend and colleague, Ned Russells. We discuss JetBlue's surprise bid for Spirit and the state of European demand. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? Hey, Madhu. I'm good. How are you doing? Welcome back to the podcast. You were gone last week. I was gone a couple weeks. I know. it's uh, It's been a hectic, uh, busy time, but... For mostly good reasons, I was able to make it to Europe last week. Yeah, and we'll get to that later on the podcast because I hear you have exciting things to report to us. But first, we have to address the biggest news of the week, and that is JetBlue's surprise bid for Spirit. As we all know, Spirit was in the process of uh, merging or being acquired or however you want to put it by Frontier Airlines. And uh, JetBlue came out of nowhere with a... $33 per share deal, which is a, what, 56% premium over... Um, no, I don't think it was 56. Wasn't it uh, 24 implied value to 33? It was 52% premium over the February 4th share price for okay. for Spirit, which is what Frontier, which is where fr- the Frontier deal is based on. Um, so it's a $3.6 billion deal, which is $700 million more than Frontier was offering. Anyway, so it came out of nowhere. Ned, we both have been listening to stuff covering covering this, um, but you were on the media call this morning, and um, we're recording this on um, April 6th. What, um, what, what, how did uh, CEO Robin Hayes justify this deal? Well, so Robin Hayes said that this deal is needed, this uh, out-of-the-box, he used the word audacious, uh, deal is needed to counter the strength of the big four in the U.S., the big four being American, Delta, Southwest, and United. It said JetBlue would use the deal to accelerate their planned growth, uh, particularly in um, some key markets. So it would give them some uh, dominant position in Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, a lot of Florida, but it also would accelerate JetBlue's position in a lot of mid-continent airports where they aren't currently. Uh, it would give them um, double-digit number of departures in Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, a bunch of other cities. But so he said this is needed to, to counter competition. And he was very clear that he sees it as a quote unquote low fare solution that would be you know taken seriously in the market versus uh, Frontier and Spirits, um, all budget ULCC approach. Right now, you know, when Frontier and Spirit announced their merger back in February, that or their plans to merge rather, that made a lot of sense. They're both uh, ultra low cost carriers that that cater to the price sense, very price sensitive leisure uh, travelers, and they have a ton of ancillary products on top of their very low base fares. They don't really have much of a premium product. I mean, I know Spirit has that big front seat thing, and wait, that yeah, that but is, it's just a big seat. That's Spirit, uh, right? That's not Spirit. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, all right, so they they do have. Um, I'm not going to call that premium. They have a different product that is, but but not not a not a premium product like JetBlue's Mint. I mean, so Frontier Spirit made a lot of sense. JetBlue Spirit ha- is kind of a head scratch scratcher. It is. It, it really is. There's um, it's not as obvious a combo. Uh, I mean, the only place that it probably makes a lot of sense is on the fleet side uh, to pretty much all Airbus fleets and. For those out there, yes, we know JetBlue is Embraer jets, but those are scheduled to leave by 2026. So they're on their way out. Uh, it, it really doesn't. Different business models, different market segments. 
But the way that, that Robin Hayes presents it is it would give them a lot more clout in the market. They would go from being, well, they would only, uh, JetBlue would leapfrog Alaska to become the fifth largest airline in the U.S. Uh, they would have an 8% share in the market. And, and like I said, they would have a bigger share at a lot of airports, especially in the middle of the continent. What it wouldn't do, it wouldn't really change the calculus in New York. It wouldn't change the calculus in Boston or Washington. They would gain absolutely no share from where they currently are today because uh, both JetBlue and Spirit are here. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it is a head scratcher. Yeah, and you know, the Spirit Frontier tie-up also made sense from not just from their business model, but their, their complementary networks. And Frontier is very, very West Coast, not very, but it, it's it's stronger in the West Coast than Spirit is, Spirit's stronger in the East Coast, particularly Florida. So, so they, it just made sense as a national ULCC. JetBlue, as you mentioned, I mean, there's, there's, it's very, both carriers, both Spirit and JetBlue are strong in Florida and strong on the East Coast, maybe Spirit, not so much in New York. Um, they, it's just, it's, it's a completely different network. Uh, and <laughs> there's also the little matter of American, right? I mean, JetBlue is in the process of fighting off a, a Justice Department challenge to its proposed Northeast Alliance with uh, um, American. And what, how does, how do you think, or what was said about, um, the tie up that, that alliance, um, if with a potential spirit deal? Well, Hayes said that the American Northeast Alliance is, um, quote unquote, absolutely complimentary with JetBlue emerging with spirit. Uh, he said, and asked specifically if the DOJ gave them a condition that they drop their American alliance in exchange for the merger, he said no. So that was really interesting because most of the Wall Street analysts that I spoke to see like if JetBlue Spirit does get shareholders board and shareholder approval and moves to uh, regulatory approval, you know, that dropping the American alliance could be the key, um, you know, the key concession that the DOJ tries to extract because there's, if you think about it, the merger doesn't offer many other concessions. They don't really gain much share at any slot-constrained airports. You know, Florida airports where they would have the most concentration are mostly open to new entrants, so it's it's not much they could give up there. So it's going to be interesting. You know, J.P. Morgan, J, J, J. P. Morgan analyst Jamie Baker made a good quip in his uh, report on the on the deal today when he said. Hey, you know, at least JetBlue is a DOJ on speed dial already, yeah. so <laughs> could make it easy. But it, I mean, it's an open question. That said, analysts think that JetBlue's proposal for Spirit could actually push the DOJ to make a decision on something, just because now there's competing uh, proposals in the market. So is that? Yeah, there is that. Um, the 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 thing that I find a kind of a head scratcher, and when I worked for airlines, uh, we talked a lot about the brand promise, right? Like what the and this is a little bit softer than the fleet and network and all that sort of stuff, but which which are important. But this is equally important. I mean, the the promise of the JetBlue brand was sort of upscale, a little quirky, a little bit, um, a little, you know, it was a uh, it was stylish, for lack of a better word. These are not qualities that one associates with spirit. Absolutely not, and you know, it would be a big, um, it would be a big upgrade for spirit flyers to go from a spirit uh, product and you know offering to a JetBlue product and offering just on the highest level. Uh, JetBlue's A three twenties have, I mean, 
what is it, 20 fewer seats than uh, Spirit's A320s? So, and that's not counting in premium products. Right. That's just- right. And, and uh, that, that's exactly right. But what I'm getting at, Ned, is that it's not just the product and the fleet, but there's also a promise, a brand promise, right? A brand comes with a story to, to explain why it's relevant in the market. What's and, the spokescritter, Madhu? What's well, the, the spokescritter? Like, like, no, like the Porter's spokescritter, as, as we've discussed many times, Mr. Porter. That's a, you know adds to the story that it is a quirky Canadian airline, but I we're talking about JetBlue here. JetBlue is, is it's brand promise, a little more stylish than, um, than your typical carrier, a little more, um, you know, the, the, the mint product is different, but that a traditional business class less stayed perhaps. Um, so the, that's, that's kind of the market segment that JetBlue is going for. And spirit is very much caters to sort of very price sensitive leisure customers that will pay less pay less to get where they're going and not expect the amenities. Now, several years ago, JetBlue um, made a bid for Virgin America, as we all remember. And the, the two brands were seen as very aligned. Also, both started as Richard Branson ideas. Um, so that seemed like a natural fit from sort of a brand point of view, but Alaska swooped in. And there was a lot of concern back then that Alaska... Uh, didn't have quite the same brand and market segment as, as JetBlue. So that's, I, I really find that s- circle hard to square. And it's something that's been kind of danced around in, in today's call with, in, with investors and also in the various press releases and filings the company's made. Like, how do you, how do we, how do we, how do you pitch this thing? Is it, do you pitch it to the JetBlue customer, the Spirit customer, or all of them and hope that everyone's satisfied? I don't know. How do you pitch this thing, Madhu? Um, <laughs> Hayes is definitely making the case that that the merger would bring low fares to more people, though, of course. And I spoke to a couple pricing um, analysts and they said, yes, JetBlue does set fares where it competes with the majors. Um, but they don't. They match where they compete with this, like, Spirit Mature. But that's not what you're asking. No. Um, no, that, that is like. I, I, mean, I mean, like... It, it really wasn't discussed. Like, the management has no answer for that. They, you know, it's. Uh, they, they talked about the JetBlue effect, but that's mostly giving the JetBlue promise to all of Spirit's customers and whatever that promise is. It's, yeah. Right. I mean, so when you think of a brand identity, I mean, the, the typical Nordstrom shopper is not going to be buying clothes at Target. Right. Right. The same sort of thing holds true to a degree in the airline industry and in that the the it's two different markets. I don't know how these 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 what the story is and how you pitch it and how they align. I, 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 I would like to hear more about that from anyone who's interested. MU at skiff.com, ER at skiff.com. Um, how, how I mean, JetBlue's betting that Spirit Flyers will be more than willing to come on to JetBlue planes if they buy, you know, and and I think they're betting that with uh, by offering a slightly improved product that they might be able to get a little bit more and fares. Well, they're going to have to because Spirit, you know, JetBlue's pay scales are higher than Spirit. So any yep. merger would mean Spirit's staff are going to get a raise right off the top. So, you know, they're kind of bidding on that. There's a lot of talk about JetBlue's bargain basement fare, blue, uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's a basic economy fare. Yeah. You know, maybe that would be expanded. But, um, I mean, yeah, Robin Hayes' pitch is that, you know, people like the JetBlue product and experience and they're going to be willing to come to that from Spirit. So, that's not a very, you know, detailed answer, but that's what they gave. 
Okay, so the Spirit customer will be happy to fly on JetBlue. Now, will a JetBlue customer be happy to fly on a Spirit plane if there's an equipment swap? Um, probably not. Probably not, right? So how do you that that gets back to my question? How do you pitch this thing? What's its story? But that's the, the, the Wall Street analyst's answer. The execution risk of this deal is far greater than mm-hmm. Frontier Spirit is because there's a lot more just synergies between the two airlines, and you know even though they're touting growth and abilities, there's a lot more risk. You know, I wrote about it today, and I talked focus more on the regulatory side, but really there's a lot of the devils in the details, and we've mm-hmm. seen this with a lot of airline mergers, and it you know not done well. They can really throw off a deal. And, and we saw that with the United Continental merger. The really didn't, uh, it was bumpy. Uh, American US Airways went relatively smoothly. Alaska Virgin went relatively smoothly. But, you know, <laughs> it's been a decade. It's almost like it's time for another badly <laughs> spun merger to happen again. <laughs> Not saying that will happen, but there's a lot of risk and a lot of potential for that to happen. There's a lot of, there. there is a lot of risk. Absolutely. All right, let, Ned, let's squeeze in a quick break. All right, and we're back. So, Ned, um, you recently attended the Airlines for Europe conference in Brussels and heard a lot about summer demand in Europe. What's what's the story? Tell us more. Yeah, so I was able to go to the Airlines for Europe summit in Brussels last week where the CEOs of IAG, Lufthansa, EasyJet, Ryanair were all in attendance as well as some of the smaller carriers. Unfortunately, our France KLM, Ben Smith, wasn't able to make it. It was the day that uh, KLM announced a new CEO, though, Uh, There were reports that he might have tested positive for COVID, which was why he wasn't there. But that's not here nor there. Uh, We wish him a speedy recovery, whatever it was. Uh, But the word from Europe is optimism, to say the least. You know, considering the continent is on the doors, has a war on its eastern flank uh, in Ukraine. And, you know, oil and, and energy prices are rapidly rising. No one really thought that they, well... Almost no one thought that they posed any risk to, to the summer outlook, which is very bullish. A number of carriers, including, um, including I want to say, uh, including you know some of the big are going to be flying full summer schedules uh, this summer. Um, wow, where was I? I totally lost it. <laughs> Sorry. So you know the only exception to the rule was was Ryanair's Michael Leary, who said you know another negative news cycle could derail the summer. But you, everyone else, it, it, bookings are strong. Bookings are building into twenty nine at to twenty nineteen levels quickly. And there's a there is an east west divide. Demand into Eastern Europe is weaker than demand elsewhere. But you know, Voltea CEO Carlos Munoz told me that you know the good guys are winning. Being pent up demand is outpacing any negative macro Ukraine oil COVID concerns in the market. And uh, Voltaire, he did, caveat, is very Western Europe focused, Southern Europe based in Spain. So they're in that geography that is really the strongest, but demand is strong. It's robust. Yeah. And how much of this uh, demand is sort of phantom demand, right? We've we've talked about the phantom de- phantom schedules on the transatlantic this summer about uh, airlines really using hope as a strategy and planning more than they might actually execute. Do you get a sense from how much how much de- uh, capacity is going well, I think you're talking about phantom capacity, which is different phantom capacity. Yes, I misspoke. I'm... Thank you for correcting me. I mean, how much of this capacity is phantom capacity? I mean, I think some will come out, you know, some of the capacity that's in the market will come out, but 
you know, right now, April schedules stand down about, I want to say, 7% from uh, uh, from 2019. And, you know, Michael O'Leary was saying Europe might have roughly 10% fewer routes, uh, flights than in 2019 this summer. But airlines like that. That's going to push fares up. Yeah, and absolutely. that's going to help them with higher fuel prices. So, and right now, you know, Carson Sport, Lufthansa Group said bookings are building steadily towards summer levels. And he expects them to be there by the time June hits. Yeah. So, uh, you, yeah, they're going to pull some capacity out, but that's that's viewed as a good thing on the airline management side, not a bad no, thing. Absolutely. Uh, and what did you get a sense? Did anyone speak about the return of business travel in, in Europe? We didn't really touch. I didn't really touch on that. You know, the topics were Ukraine out demand outlook. Uh, the European airlines are very focused on current climate legislation pending in mm-hmm. the European Commission. Uh, the fit for it's called Fit for Fifty Five, or calls for a, a emissions reduction by twenty thirty, and includes new taxes and new expenses for airlines. And they basically were making the case, considering they were in Brussels, the seat of the European government, uh, making the case that you know we're okay with climate legislation, but give us something. And they were pushing for uh, European single European sky. Uh, sustainability. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had to laugh. I've, I have covered single European sky for my entire entire career, and it's kind of like, I mean, it's like it's God, it's like chasing a unicorn, isn't it? Well, the EU Transport Commissioner made it very clear. She's like, she thinks that local politicians simply don't have the guts to to push it forward. Because right. frankly, there are very strong uh, air traffic control unions in each in most European countries, and well, those union what, they, those politicians answer to those unions. So. That's what they said in two thousand six. <laughs> you know, that was a long time ago, and they're still saying it. So yeah, single European sky. It's kind of like that uh, that winning lottery ticket that I that I almost bought. But never. Well, it's a good thing you didn't buy it because you would not have won that ticket. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so. So there's digress. really no talk of business demand, but right. airlines didn't seem disturbed because it sounds like demand is going to be so robust from at least leisure traffic this summer that it'll make up for any shortfall in, in, in business demand. They didn't talk really about profitability, and Europe tends to be a little behind the U.S. on, on returning to, you know, to 2019 financial metrics. So the general. Uh, assumption is that you know they're probably talking a 2023 profitability story at a lot of airlines but that really didn't that we didn't go into the details of that yeah and you know europe's leisure demand has always been really robust i mean even in the dark days of the pandemic in 2020 the summer of 2020 european leisure demand really looked very rosy compared to what we had in the u.s back then um last summer i think delta put a the Delta variant rather put a, put a dent in everyone's summer. But, but, um, so it doesn't surprise me that, uh, you know, Europeans are all have their bags packed and are ready to stick their toes in the sand this summer in Spain. Absolutely. And, you know, the one market that remains closed and it's closed for everyone is Asia. And, and they've yeah. pivoted some of the, many of those long haul planes flying to are going to North America or going to the Caribbean, you know, Africa's come back very strong for them. So, it's it's optimistic though. I do really wonder. We've seen this recovery derailed several times due to unexpected COVID surges and everything. When I was there, the uh, BA two variant is it BA4? some variant of the Omicron? Yes. Another you know variant is is starting to spike in in the UK. 
But really, it doesn't seem to be sparking new worries. While I was there, Switzerland dropped all mask restrictions. So the shift is definitely towards reopening and fewer restrictions and not towards more, despite, you know, fears of new COVID waves and airlines seem to be taking that in stride. You know, like I said, O'Leary was the only executive that showed, that that raised any concern about about the summer outlook. But even you know, while he raised concern, he's he's not changing. The airline still plans to fly fifteen percent more capacity this summer than they did in twenty nineteen. So, oh. yeah. You know, well, that's also a saying, function of the larger aircraft they have now. Absolutely, they've got you know the uh, the what was it they they like to call it Madu? Oh God, let's make fetch happen again. <laughs> the 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 Max eight. 200 game changer game changer game i'm sorry changer. the game changer 8200 um good lord yeah anyway so the game changer 8200 i mean it's a bigger has more seats so it they have more capacity since they've started taking delivery of them um so yeah interesting pent-up demand is a thing i mean i was talking to an epidemiologist last week who said that um we can't rule out another variant but it also it's balancing the 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 risk of a variant with just pandemic fatigue. I mean, no one has the appetite. No government has the political will to to impose new lockdowns. Well, I say that a very uh, well, when I all think, of Shanghai is shut down at the moment. So I was going to say million the Chinese, people, right? Yeah. So, so uh, outside of outside of um, lo- parts of Asia, I mean, uh, it seems unlikely we'll have other lo- lockdowns now. The, this epidemiologist I was speaking to said, uh, said of course, everyone has fingers crossed that there is not, you know, the row. What's the next letter? Row? Um, the next You're letter. You're a Latin expert. Uh, <laughs> well, Latin alphabet. That's expert, Greek. Or Greek alphabet. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, the next variant. I mean, there's the trajectory of vir- viral evolution tends to be toward less um risky variants but that's not always true so um we could have another delta named bro so <laughs> no one really knows no one really knows but the question is if we do will it really stop people from traveling and the other risk i mean that we're really not talking about and i um is that the largest land war in europe could escalate i mean no one expects it to escalate but actually yes it, it could you know there it absolutely could could um, spread it and affecting demand in poland hungary and that's um, what airline executives were saying is inbound demand to some of those countries it has dropped and is Mm -hmm. weaker and you know they weren't at the at the event but united airlines has pulled two of its new routes to eastern europe washington to berlin and newark to prague from its summer schedule they said you know it's part of a normal update but they pulled it about three weeks after the ukraine war began so yeah, you know, it's kind of like, and considering the guidance from everyone else, that inbound demand to Eastern Europe's weak, it, it sort of fits with the narrative that, you know, maybe airlines are going to be shifting some capacity to Western Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Madhu, always a pleasure to chat with you. This is so much fun and, and uh, you know, it's it's always busy in Airlineville, especially this week. Absolutely. We'll, um, I mean, just when you think things are going to get are back to normal, JetBlue goes and tries to buy Spirit. I mean, who would have said I did not have that on any bingo card in the airline industry this year? I'm sure you didn't. No one did. So thank you, JetBlue. Thank you for keeping things interesting. And Ned, it's it's great to have you back. Hot tip to you, JetBlue listeners. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us this week. All right. Bye, Madhu. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.